was Derrick Henry being drafted ahead of Danny Woodhead, Theo Riddick, and Frank Gore? In seasonal leagues? Seasonal leagues! And we're not just talking any seasonal leagues. We're talking about the Fantasy Football Players Championship Draft Master Best Ball Leagues, where the sicko diehard off-season fantasy addicts go to draft. Those are not casual leagues we're talking about. Yet Derrick Henry is being drafted as if he's a starting running back. He's definitively not. We hope that he becomes a starting running back one day. We can fantasize about Derrick Henry becoming a starter and what he would be in a run-first offense with an excellent run-blocking offensive line. Derrick Henry would be essentially what he was at Alabama at Tennessee. That's where our minds go thinking about best-case scenario for Derrick Henry, but best-case scenario isn't the current reality. And in seasonal leagues, you draft based on the current reality. You don't draft based on, oh, but what if? Oh, but what if? Oh, but what if? Oh, but DeMarco Murray could get hurt and Derrick Henry would help you win a fantasy championship. You want Derrick Henry on your fantasy team in the playoffs because by week 14, DeMarco Murray will have a foot sprain. Maybe go to playerprofile.com, scroll down on DeMarco Murray, and you will see a litany of lower body injuries on his medical history report. But that doesn't mean that he's going to be hurt this year. He's the starter and he's not merely the starter. DeMarco Murray's a bell cow back. Last season, DeMarco Murray's 73.9% opportunity share was number six in the NFL. Now juxtapose that with Devontae Freeman. How can you draft Devontae Freeman ahead of DeMarco Murray? But it's happening. FFPC expert drafters are drafting Devontae Freeman at least a round before DeMarco Murray. And it doesn't make sense. This is illogical. DeMarco Murray is being drafted as if... The Tennessee Titans have already implemented a split backfield. They have not. And Devontae Freeman is being drafted as if the Atlanta Falcons have not implemented a split backfield, and they already have! It's bizarro world when you look at the Devontae Freeman versus DeMarco Murray ADPs. It's DeMarco Murray who should be drafted in the late first round, and Devontae Freeman that should be drafted in the late second round. But at least... The Tevin Coleman, Derrick Henry dichotomy is accurate. At least Tevin Coleman is being drafted a couple rounds before Derrick Henry. That makes sense, except that Tevin Coleman should be being drafted many, 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 many rounds before Derrick Henry because Tevin Coleman has become an established member of that Falcons backfield. Tevin Coleman was in the game for half the snaps last season. We don't know how much the Titans want Derrick Henry on the field. So how could we draft Derrick Henry just a couple rounds after Tevin Coleman? You can't. You can't do it. Well, you can. It's just highly speculative and the best way to lose a fantasy league. Also, Derrick Henry is not a slick receiver. Tevin Coleman is an excellent receiver. That's a big difference. The ability to be active in the passing game propelled Tevin Coleman's fantasy output last season. Derrick Henry does not have that capability. Derrick Henry is a pure handcuff to DeMarco Murray. And we don't draft pure handcuff backs even in the later rounds of redrafts, much less in the sixth and seventh round. What? (laughs) So as ridiculous as the Devontae Freeman ADP is, given his status as a timeshare back, Derrick Henry's ADP is even more ridiculous given his status as a pure handcuff back. Those four backs, the only player I am comfortable drafting in seasonal leagues is DeMarco Murray because DeMarco Murray is the only back with a proven track record 
who projects to get workhorse touches in 2017. And there's another befuddling ADP that has been brought to my attention. It was brought to my attention by Dave Gerzak from the Fantasy Football Players Championship. He hosts a podcast, the High Stakes Fantasy Football Hour with Eric Balkman. Eric Balkman is going to be on the show today. We'll talk to him in a moment. Dave Gerzak brought an interesting fact to my attention that Andrew Locke is still being drafted in the top five quarterbacks, and yet he hasn't even begun throwing yet. After shoulder surgery, major surgery to his throwing shoulder. Now, I'm not a doctor, but intuitively, you have to imagine that a quarterback wants to refine his craft throughout the offseason, constantly practicing throwing a football accurately and strengthening the most important muscle on a quarterback's body, the shoulder muscle. And Andrew Luck has been able to do none of that. His shoulder has been immobile, atrophied for six months. It's a major surgery. And Andrew Locke has developed no rapport with his receivers and has spent zero minutes and zero seconds practicing the sport of football, his profession. So I'm equally concerned about Andrew Luck being both ready to start the season at 100% capacity health-wise and ready to start the season at 100% capacity skill-wise. These are both question marks. So given that context, how can you draft Andrew Luck in the top three quarterbacks? That's where he's going, in the top three quarterbacks of high-stakes leagues. How? 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 On the playerprofiler.com seasonal rankings, playerprofiler.com forward slash player dash rankings, we have Andrew Luck outside our top five quarterbacks. Why? Because we don't rank players based on name brands. We rank them based on past performance and forecasting future opportunity. So for that reason, we can't have Andrew Luck ranked ahead of Tom Brady or Aaron Rodgers or Drew Brees or Matt Ryan or even Russell Wilson. Hell, how can you have Andrew Luck ranked ahead of Jameis Winston at this point? Jameis Winston's healthy, received a major wide receiver upgrade. What upgrade did Andrew Luck receive in the offseason? Kamar Aiken? Oh, let's get excited about Andrew Luck. Got Kamar Aiken. Go time. His shoulder doesn't even work yet. And it's June 29th. And Dave Gerzak from the FFPC is raising his hand saying, Uh, guys? Uh, yeah, so, uh, is it just me or is the season a couple months away and we should be worried that Andrew Luck isn't throwing footballs yet? That's kind of a big deal. That's his job, pretty much his only job, and he can't do it? So maybe don't draft him in the top three quarterbacks? Maybe take Matt Ryan and Drew Brees instead. I don't know. Maybe. Love Dave Gerzak. Love Eric Balkman. Listen to their show, the High Stakes Fantasy Football Hour on iTunes. Now let's go talk to Eric Balkman. Follow him at Eric Balkman on Twitter. Welcome to the Roto Underworld Radio Program. Eric Balkman. He is the head of media at the FFPC the Fantasy Football Players Championship. One of my favorite guys in the industry, one of my favorite enterprises in the industry, the FFPC. He's their spokesman, Eric Balkman. Talk to me. Yeah, it's, I, I'm so glad to hear that I'm one of your favorite people in the industry because I am not even close to one of my favorite people in the industry. <laughs> That's why I like you right there. <laughs> we need more quick wit. That's what we need, quick wit. And you and Dave Gerzak your co-host on the High Stakes Fantasy Football Hour, have great rapport. I mean, that's one of the reasons why so many people tune into that show is to hear your rapport with Dave. Talk to us about how you started that podcast 
and where it's ended up now today. Yeah, originally we, uh, Dave and I realized, and we, we've been friends for you know almost two decades, we, we kind of realized that we have a general dislike for each other. And, and uh, he suggested, <laughs> hey, why don't we start a podcast and people can just listen to us bicker for an hour? And I said, that is the first great idea you've ever had. So originally we, <laughs> we started doing it um, to as as the like a, a quasi mouthpiece for the FFPC to try to get more people to come out and uh, draft live with us in Vegas every year because it's always a great time. It's always fun to draft, uh, you know, online, but it's even more fun when you get to do it uh, in Las Vegas and, and there's a lot of different distractions to pass the time when you're not drafting. So we thought it'd be cool to start this podcast to talk about fantasy, talk about how much fun drafting in Vegas is. And that's basically what we thought it would be. And now, you know, we're in our sixth year of doing it. Uh, and and now it's become like we're we're broadcasting the pros versus Joe's drafts live uh, every single year with, you know, all the industry guys, the 36 industry guys. Which, I'm in that. I'm one of those 36. I'm one of the big boys. Yeah, that's right. You'll be going up against 36 FFPC Joe's. We'll broadcast those drafts live. Um, we've had just uh, a cavalcade of interesting guests come on. We've had a New Zealand Olympian come on the show mm-hmm. who um, actually drafted a football guys players championship team in the air. Uh, the last draft we had a few years ago, right before the opening game, and he ended up taking uh, like fifth place overall in it. So drafting from his plane from the United States back to New Zealand, just joined it on a whim. So that was cool. And he was a distance runner in the uh, the Olympics like wow. ten years ago. So that was cool. We've had. Um, uh, a reality TV psychologist who's one of uh, Kirk Kikas, who's one of our favorite uh, guests who's come on the show. He's worked on like the, you know, like The Bachelor and Hell's Kitchen and a lot of these different shows. Uh, and he's a big high stakes player. We always love hearing his stories when he comes on. And Sharkhandrick West actually came on the show a few years ago, too, which was very cool to have him on. Uh, so and it's, it's just blossomed into this uh, thing where uh, people, uh, you know, semi respect us now. Wow, yes, that's great. If you can get to semi-respectability. Yeah, that that was uh, always the goal, and uh, we don't really have a new goal because I think we've hit our ceiling, and, and that's just where we're sort of at. Now you're just continuing to toke the smoldering acrimony between you two. That's it. Yeah, I feel like even if the show ever ended, we would still get together on Friday nights, and you know we would still argue about fantasy football. We just probably wouldn't record it. Yes, I have a show, the Sonic Truth Podcast, I host with Nate Liss, and we are striving to have the level of rapport that you have with Dave Gerzak, and we also toke the smoldering acrimony during the show. I love it. And by the way, we had Jeremy McNichols on the show, so we did that, and it sounds like we should have Dr. Drew to compete with you. If you have a reality (laughs) psychologist, we should go after Dr. Drew and try to one-up you on that. Yeah, and what's he doing right now? I mean, I'm sure he's available. I don't know. Yeah, what is Dr. Drew up to? I can't imagine the amount of money that these guys make that launch multiple successful syndicated television shows, right? Like, wow. One of the richest people in Hollywood is Julia Louis-Dreyfus because she was in two smash hit comedies. So I'm sure Dr. Drew has plenty of time at this point in his career to sit down with us and talk about fantasy football. But you also talked about the live events in Vegas, which I will be attending as well. I mean, there's pros versus Joes. So that's going to be exciting. 
You're just going all in with the FFPC this year. Well, I am. Yes, I'm a big fan of the FFPC. The FFPC has partnered with PlayerProfiler.com. So now when you go to a Player Profiler player page, you can click draft this player on FFPC and you can join one of the FFPC drafts. You don't have to draft in person in Vegas. I think some people think of it like the World Series of Poker and that you have to fly to Vegas to participate. There are a lot of leagues available on the FFPC's platform, not just the in-person leagues, which are the best if you can make it. And I'm fortunate to be able to make it this year. But there are a lot of these draft master best ball leagues happening throughout the offseason. So there is a lot of competition for these best ball draft master leagues beyond the mainstream platforms that everyone has known about previously. There's now a lot of options out there for those of you that want to get involved with these best ball draft master leagues that are becoming more and more and more popular. Yeah, our live events, is it's just basically three days out of the year, September 7th through the 9th, and then that's it for live events. Our, our online stuff basically starts the week after the Super Bowl where we'll have you know, 28 round best ball draft experts formats going right away. Um, so people can cash in on the value uh, that you can get with uh, players uh, right away. And, they, and they're not all high stakes. I mean, we probably have a, a hundred or so leagues that draft live out in Vegas, but we have a ton more than that, that draft online. And you can draft it, it, as little as $35. Um, you know, they, they start at 35, 77, 150, 250. Those are the most popular uh, levels, price points for our for our uh, best ball formats. And uh, a lot of people like to try those out. And if they like it, then uh, they work their way up to the Football Guys Players Championship. And then, you know, some like to draft right away uh, in uh, in Las Vegas and, and get in the main event out there. So, I mean, there's a, there's a ton of different ways, a ton of different, you know, levels uh, as far as entry fee goes to get involved, to, to try out the format. And I, I got to tell you, ever since the player profiler pages have been added to the FFPC, like, I don't know how many email inboxes I've gone through because they keep filling up with people saying, this is the best thing you guys have ever done. Why has this not taken place earlier? Everybody loves the player profiler aspect that are on the FFPC yes. pages now. It's just crazy, and, and it's just making a, a, making a good product uh, even better. Uh, so we're, we're thrilled to have that as well. Yeah, we would be remiss if we didn't mention that. When you're drafting in one of these $35 Draftmaster Best Ball Leagues, which I participate in, that's my preferred place to go to play the off-season Draftmaster Best Ball format, when you click on a player to see if you want to draft him, and you can see player profiler, stat panels, workout metrics, trends, injury history, all embedded in the player pages on the FFPC platform. So this has been a revolution in data sharing and data integration across platforms. So it's incredibly exciting. And anyone else that wants to feature player profiler data embedded in their platform can absolutely reach out rotowonderworld at gmail.com. It's just that the FFPC were first movers on this and they are the big innovators, but it's going to be something that other platforms can utilize. I think it'll become a popular addition to websites across the internet service. I hope to God it is. For Christ's sake, it better be. Uh, <laughs> because people do like Player Profiler, and they do enjoy taking drafting to the next level with advanced metrics. And I was looking at the advanced metrics on Derek Carr because Derek Carr just signed a big contract. And it wasn't just a big contract. It was the biggest contract in the history of the NFL. And I'm just not sure 
that he's the right guy to hold the banner for highest paid player in the NFL. I'm just not sure. What do you think of this, Eric Balkman? What do you think of the Derek Carr mega contract? I think like it's interesting if you try to explain the NFL to somebody who doesn't really understand how it works and, and they say, oh, OK, so people play this game for money. Well, who's the guy making the most money? Because he's clearly the best player. And you say, oh, it's Derek Carr, the, the quarterback for the Raiders. And they're like, oh, wow, he, he must. How many MVPs does he have? How many Super Bowl rings does he have? And they're like, well, it doesn't exactly work that way. How many 4,000 yard seasons does he have? Yeah, exactly. I mean, it, it, it was like it was like when the when the salary cap in the NBA went up a couple of years ago, and Mike Conley, Mike Conley, uh, was the highest paid player in the NBA after that. And P, P, I mean, like every sport uh, athletes on Twitter are, are are saying like, how is this possible? How how is he the guy who makes the most money? playing this sport and and i think you know I, Derek carr makes uh you know it, that it's the same thing to a, a lesser extreme but it's just the way the system works now uh you know just the next quarterback that's due for an extension is going to be the best you know the highest paid player he's going to be passed soon probably by uh, matthew stafford probably by Kirk cousins then probably down the road by aaron Rodgers. it's just the way the system works so Derek carr like it's sort of like best rapper alive everybody wears that that tag for a little bit like Eminem had it for a while. Lil Wayne had it for a while. Derek Carr is Eminem? No, stop it. You can't compare Derek Carr to Eminem. And you think that Kirk Cousins is going to surpass Derek Carr's contract? You really think that's going to happen? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think it's going to happen. Oh, so you think Washington is going to finally acquiesce? I think, and this is the this is the this is the analogy that I always think with with Kirk Cousins. It's like when you're in high school, not you, but like a, a person who is not a very good person, okay? And okay. you're and you're and you're you're you get a prom date, okay? And you secure like two months before the prom, and you're taking her out on Fridays and Saturdays, and you're spending money on dinners and <laughs> movies and what have you, and you're secretly hoping. Where is this going? I can't wait. You're secretly hoping this whole time that you're going to pawn pawn her off to a friend of yours, you know, so that you can get the the, the girl who's going to be the head cheerleader. And like it's like a she's all that scenario. Nobody realizes that this is going to be the next big thing, that this is going to be the hottest chick in school. And you're going to have her hanging off. This, you're going to have her hanging off your arm. And you're, this is how you introduce her to the rest of the of your high school classmates. That's what you're secretly hoping for. And ultimately, she realizes this and goes with a different, you know, football player. And then you kind of realize, oh, hey, this girl who's been a placeholder this whole time wasn't that bad after all. And you commit to her with the largest contract in NFL history. That was a great story. <laughs> I'm excited to see Kirk Cousins be rewarded because he's really the polar opposite player of Derek Carr. Kirk Cousins has been posting prolific and efficient seasons for the past two years and yet is not regarded as a top quarterback. He's grouped with the Joe Flaccos and the Andy Daltons of the league. Meanwhile, Derek Carr has been this rocket ship. Derek Carr is already in Andrew Luck territory. In fact, I saw a Twitter poll yesterday. Very simple. Who'd you rather have starting a franchise tomorrow? Derek Carr, Andrew Luck. Derek Carr won the poll 54 to 46%. Derek Carr was second in the MVP voting on ESPN. Second to Tom Brady among NFL fans. 
I don't understand what's happening. He finished outside the top 12 in passing yards. And when you look at the advanced efficiency metrics, air yards per attempt, for example, 3.7, number 20th in the league. So he's neither a counting stat hero nor an efficiency hero. And yet somehow, some way he's carved out this place as good Tim Tebow. <laughs> if Tim Tebow were good at football, he would be Derek Carr. Like that's where he resides now. And I am perplexed by it because I don't see it. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's the type of guy that um, I think people just want him to be a winner. They want him to be good because that means the Raiders are, are relevant again. And, and the Raiders can, um, you know, be a, a football force like they were back in the day. But I mean, Carr, I mean, the thing is with, with these MVP things that, that ESPN does, like so much of it is they don't take, you know, stats or they take stats into, you know, account partially, but so much of it is weighted towards wins. And like, what are you, what are you doing for your team? How many games are you winning? What position are you putting your team uh, in the playoffs? And, and I think that um, for fantasy, we, we care less about that, but it makes sense that, you know, that these NFL uh, pundits, not fantasy pundits, would would put Carr up there because of the season that the Raiders had last year. Something is happening with Derek. Derek Carr is one of these individuals that just goes through life with a rabbit's foot in his front pocket. It seems every offseason we're reading reports about how Derek Carr saved a cat that was caught in a tree, that he pulled a passenger out of a burning car. It, he's helping stranded motorists on his way to work. And this happens every month to Derek Carr. He is what we wanted Tim Tebow to be. And it's maddening to me that this serendipity just follows him through life because I'm just not sure how good of a football player he is. And that's what I care about. The thing that we'll pay attention to this year is, or the Raiders are going to regress this year as a team. And then maybe all of a sudden, this Derek Carr hype will die down a little bit. Regress from what? Where were they last year? He hasn't done anything, Eric. He hasn't done squat. Why is he getting so much credit for having done squat? I don't get it. <laughs> you have to look at, too, from the perspective in the NFL, when your team is winning, the head coach and the quarterback often get too much credit. And when your team is losing, they're not even winning yet. This is what I'm saying. This are not even winning yet. And he's receiving this praise. Imagine if they start winning. What if he wins a playoff game? Oh my God, my head is going to explode. You'd be looking at uh, what, what Tim Tebow could have been had he been a good winning quarterback. I don't want to live in this world, man, where Mr. Every time I drive to work, I get to save someone's life. Meanwhile, I'm finishing outside the top 10 in every important statistical category is the one making the most money in the league and winning the championships. That would drive me absolutely insane. I may not be able to watch the NFL ever again. I may not be able to watch sports ever again. I may not be able to function in society if that were to occur. It may be too much. I just would have a fissure and a break from reality, and you would never hear from me again. Until uh, Tim Tebow um, you know, comes back and, and is uh, the quarterback we always wanted him to be, and then uh, things get so haywire. No, Tim Tebow gets promoted to the major leagues and yeah. hits a game-winning <laughs> home run in the World Series. Then, uh, bye! Bye, everybody! Hey, everyone! Really good knowing you. 
Football Twitter was fun. You know, the FFPC was great. Had a lot of fun with fantasy football. But I'll see you later. <laughs> I can't do this anymore. Yeah, I mean, it's like uh, it's one of those things that uh, we're never going to know the true explanation for. Um, and maybe if Derek Carr has a is a, the quarterback of a seven and nine team uh, this year, we we don't hear about this again. He was the 18th quarterback in fantasy points per game last season with Amari Cooper and Michael Crabtree as his wide receivers. Let me repeat that. Derek Carr, 17.9 fantasy points per game, number 18 in the NFL with Amari Cooper and Michael Crabtree as his wide receivers, Eric. He was the beneficiary of uh, a lot of great other cogs on that defense, too that helped keep that uh, team winning throughout the regular season. I feel like the entire world has been reverse engineered to prop up Derek Carr. Like, I feel like he's living in the Truman Show. I mean, that's what's happening. I feel like this is all just a big movie, and Derek Carr doesn't know it, and we're all actors in this elaborate movie that Derek Carr doesn't even realize is happening. He's just like, wow, life is really fun. (laughs) This is exciting. So would that make Roger Goodell Kristoff in that scenario? Yes, this whole thing. Me and you, we're in this too. We're the guys <laughs> on the radio that are criticizing him, and he's just turning the volume down and smiling <laughs> because we just don't get it, quote unquote. You get damn right we don't get it, Derek. We don't get it. <laughs> I, who, you know who the real um, sufferer in this whole scenario is? Think about David Carr. Oh, David Carr. (laughs) Yes, David Carr. Isn't it true that in every universe, there is the opposite that allows the other to exist? The superhero, he siphons all of his power from another hero, but that other hero is this debilitated, just immobile, and he basically sucks all of his strength from the other, and so then no one knows that this other one exists. He's locked in a tower somewhere, and then the hero gets to go out and win all the battles, win all the awards, and help the damsel in distress. David Carr is up in the dungeon tower helping his brother by absorbing all of the negative energy that might affect him. That's what's happening. There's an alternate universe somewhere where you and I are doing this show, and we're talking about yes, yes. how are we so wrong about Derek Carr like why couldn't he be as good as his older brother was that he's brought these multiple Super Bowl uh, titles to Houston and Derek Carr was supposed to be the next guy and he goes to Oakland and and they can't do anything you know that's what's going on so it's somewhere concurrently I like your fictional scenario better because there's another parallel universe where we're just dumbfounded as to why Derek Carr can't be as good as his brother He just can never get out from the shadow of his brother, David. <laughs> and David, David, who is uh, in this scenario, of course, David is the highest paid player in the NFL as well, which I, you talk about dimensions. You talk about realities, Matt, that you don't want to live in. I don't want I don't want to live in that reality. I don't want to live in any reality where any car of any kind is the highest paid quarterback in the league and is thought to be one of the MVP candidates despite not being special in any way on the football field. <laughs> you you hit the nail on the head, man. Poor David. David is drafted to the worst possible situation, an expansion franchise 
with no talent and no resources and has no time to release passes at the NFL level is just crushed by defensive ends for five straight seasons before quietly exiting the league after backing up Eli Manning of all players, another brother quarterback, and is never heard from again until his brother comes along. And then there's the other detail that the Houston Texans passed on Derek Carr because they had such a bad experience with David Carr. They worried if they drafted Derek Carr that he would be saddled with impossible expectations and that the fan base would rebel against the pick to such a degree that it would make life impossible for Derek and he couldn't possibly succeed in that environment in Houston. So for that reason, that superstitious reason, the Houston Texans passed on Derek Carr, who then went on to the Oakland Raiders, and now the Houston Texans are in quarterback purgatory and will remain there in that particular dimension for the foreseeable future. Just amazing. There's so many levels, so many layers to this. I had no idea until I brought you on the podcast, Eric. I think that um, Houston, in order to try to fix that mistake of not drafting Derek Carr, maybe they're actually looking in to see what David Carr is doing. You know, hey, would, would you want to come on? We're sorry, right? They're sending him flowers. We're sorry. We have an offensive line now. Right. We're not gonna. We're not gonna rush you in. We got this savage guy. He can play in front of you till you're ready. And uh, once you're ready, you let us know, and, and uh, we'll see if we can make it work. Can we have a redo with the Carr family? Can we have a redo, please? Just a, uh, you know, they they just had to uh, to let him mature a little bit, you know, let let him let him back up Eli Manning for a couple of years, let him exit the league, coach high school, whatever he's doing, and uh, now I think he's ready. You don't want to rush these guys, man. You don't want to rush them. No, you don't. The person who hates Derek Carr the most in the NFL has to be Andy Dalton. Has to be. Because Andy Dalton has been the superior quarterback to Derek Carr, and he's perceived to be the next Alex Smith. Meanwhile, Derek Carr is perceived to be the next Aaron Rodgers. Like, that just has to be maddening to Andy Dalton. He's like, listen, guys, I got the faux hawk. I put gel in my hair. I look good now. What's the problem here? I missed my window. That's what happened to Andy Dalton. He's realized that he missed his window, and now they want to go younger, and they're no longer looking at the Andy Daltons. They're going younger, and they're looking at Derek Carrs. So we talked earlier about Kirk Cousins. Regardless of what happens with his contract, I think that Kirk Cousins is going to have an outstanding statistical season again. I think Kirk Cousins is going to be a more productive fantasy quarterback than Derek Carr again. You know, the thing is, with Washington, they refuse to commit to him long term, yet they keep bringing in these pieces to make him as successful as possible. That's right. They draft Doxon in the first round. They sign prior to this deal. They bring in, they trade up to get Jamison Crowder. So it's like, you know, we love you. We want to put you in a position to succeed, but we don't love you that much because we might have to get rid of you soon. They're sabotaging their own ability to sabotage Kirk Cousins. I mean, it sounds ridiculous, but it, it, essentially that's what it is. <laughs> they want – it's just the funniest thing. When we talk about dysfunctional franchises, we're talking about the team in Washington. That's who we're talking about. So when you look at those wide receivers, who has more fantasy upside? Is it Jamison Crowder or is it Terrell Pryor? You know, it, on the surface you'd think – or at least I would think Terrell Pryor. He's like, you know, just just keep it simple, stupid. He's bigger. He's faster. He's, uh, you know, uh, taller. 
he's going to be playing on the outside. You just expect him to make more big plays. Then I actually, you know, you look at their stats, the yards per catch uh, between Crowder and Pryor is actually fairly similar uh, over the, you know, again, small sample size just last year. So maybe Pryor's not the 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 big play threat that I think he is, and maybe it, it's actually Crowder that has the, the bigger upside. So I think I still would lean towards Pryor, and the FFPC drafters are, are leaning towards Pryor right now. I mean, they're they're taking Pryor at the end of the fourth round, and Crowder's out there uh, at the end of the sixth. So I think that people, the drafters out there, and, and these high-stakes players still like Pryor uh, better than Crowder. But, man, it just every single day it seems like there's something else uh, about a Washington coach Talking about how great Crowder is going to be, how important he is to their offense, and and uh, you know maybe he ends up catching 90, 100 passes this year, which seems crazy with with Reed and Pryor in, in that offense as well. But uh, you know I like Crowder uh, quite a bit. I think the upside though, I I would still lean towards Pryor. Hey FFPC high stakes players, talking to you. <laughs> You're wrong. You're dead wrong when it comes to the Terrell Pryor, Jamison Crowder dichotomy because Jamison Crowder absolutely has more upside and Eric's right, it's not intuitive. The intuitive choice, of course, is Terrell Pryor. Look at the athleticism and beyond that, look at the size-adjusted athleticism. He's 6'4", 233, but he runs a sub 4'4", 440. That's a 128.3, 99th percentile height-adjusted speed score. So when we talk about size-adjusted athletes, the size-speed specimen players, your Julio Jones, your Demarius Thomas, Terrell Pryor looks the part of a proper NFL X receiver. The target hog, big play, WR1 in fantasy. I know he looks the part, and there's been a lot of vacated targets, no more Pierre Garçon, no more Deshaun Jackson. In comes Terrell Pryor, and it just makes perfect sense that that guy with that profile would just absorb all these targets. <laughs> I am a top 10 wide receiver in fantasy football. I am Terrell Pryor. Not so fast, because when I look at Terrell Pryor, I see Patriots Brandon Lloyd. And that season that Brandon Lloyd had his best season with the Patriots, do you know who led the Patriots in fantasy points that season? Uh, Wes Welker. Wes Welker. Jamison Crowder is the Wes Welker of that receiving core. And if you are operating in a high-volume pass attack that does not have an established run game, it's that target hog slot flanker that ends up with more upside because he ends up dwarfing the target share of the outside receiver. And we know that Kirk Cousins floods the ball to the middle of the field. That's what he does. He loves Jordan Reed. And last year, he loved the combination of Pierre Garçon and Jamison Crowder over the middle of the field. Now, no more Pierre Garçon. So I'm projecting Jamison Crowder to absorb a significant percentage of those Pierre Garçon targets in addition to all the targets he received last year. And this is assuming Jordan Reed is healthy over the middle. And that's a big if for the rest of the season, given that he's had... 56,000 concussions in his career. That leaves Terrell Pryor 
to absorb the Deshaun Jackson targets. The problem is Deshaun Jackson has never been a target hog in his entire career. He's won with efficiency, yet we have not seen Terrell Pryor be efficient. The league leader the last five years in yards per target has been Deshaun Jackson. Terrell Pryor's yards per target last season, I know, with Browns quarterbacks, but still 7.1, 70th in the league. So drafting Terrell Pryor over Jamison Crowder is highly speculative, and that's not the M.O. of the high-stakes drafter. What high-stakes drafters typically do is they don't fall for the speculative picks in their drafts. They draft the proven performers. That's what separates the high-stakes player from the casual player. But in this particular case, the high-stakes players are acting like casual fans in drafting Terrell Pryor over Jamison Crowder. Let me ask you this. This is this is a, a wager that my co-host Dave Gerzak and I made, uh, Pryor versus Crowder. He has Pryor to get more PPR FFPC points this year over Crowder. So I took Crowder. Did he give you odds? He, no, he gave me points in this scenario. He gave me 20 points. So Crowder has to come within 20 points of prior, <laughs> which side you would obviously. Yes. Well, considering that we have Jamison Crowder ranked ahead of Terrell Pryor on our seasonal rankings. Playerprofile.com forward slash player dash rankings. I would say you made a hell of a bet. What were the stakes? No, it's just part of our Lunas's I got five on it. So we make all these different $5 bets throughout the season. We settle up whatever there is, 40 or 50 of them at the end of the year and then uh, figure it out. What I love is when the advanced metrics foretell the player news. That's my favorite phenomenon. When the player news trails the advanced metrics. And that's what we're seeing with Jamison Crowder. We knew Jamison Crowder was much more efficient and projected to be their target, uh, 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 projected to absorb over over 120 targets this season and be efficient with them. 8.6 yards per target last season was top 30 in the league. And that's even better in the context of his role as an inside receiver. For an inside receiver to finish in the top 10 in yards per target is exceptional. So what we do is you take an already efficient receiver, you add more volume, and that's how a fantasy WR1 is created. That's how it grows. You plant the efficient seed, you water it with opportunity, and up sprouts the WR1 in fantasy. So the numbers alluded to this throughout the offseason, and then you start to read the player news leaking in about how much they love Jamison Crowder and what an important piece of the offense Jamison Crowder is going to be in 2017. And I'm sitting here saying, well, duh, duh, don't you people have playerprofiler.com? It's like the old adage, like once you demonstrate a skill, you own that skill. Jamison Crowder is not going to all of a sudden be inefficient this year. No. You know, like that, not, that's not going to change. He's not all, all of a sudden going to do less with the football. He's not going to all of a sudden be dropping all these pat. You know what I mean? He's just he's we know what he what he is capable of over the last couple of years. And now we're uh, sure that he's going to be getting uh, more more touches, more targets, more action. That's right. His catch rate will be 65% or above. That's just the receiver he is. Incredibly sure hands. And he's also a yak monster. Last year, 363 yards after the catch was top 20 in the NFL for a non-starter. He didn't even start, Eric. He had an 80% snap share. That's not a starter snap share. Deshaun Jackson and Pierre Garçon were the starters last season. 
he only came in three receiver sets and yet was top 20 in the league in yards after the catch. So this guy's ready. He's ready to pop. Crowder's going to pop. And you can still get him at a discount in drafts right now. You can still get him at a discount. He's right there with Willie Sneed. If Willie Sneed and Jamison Crowder, just the the not they they're the other guy across from a more athletic, more exciting wide receiver in a high octane offense. They're the one B option in a prolific offense. So the enthusiasm just isn't there for Willie Sneed like it is for Michael Thomas. The enthusiasm just isn't there for Jamison Crowder like it is for Terrell Pryor. But no one should be surprised when Willie Sneed outscores Michael Thomas this year, just like no one should be surprised when Jamison Crowder outscores Terrell Pryor this year because these are now starters operating in those intermediate zones of the field where they can absorb maximum target volume. And this leads me to Jeremy Macklin because the one thing we know about Jamison Crowder for sure, for sure, sure, without a doubt is that there will be volume in Washington. Just like we know for sure, without a doubt, there will be volume in New Orleans. And we now know for sure, for sure, sure, that there's going to be volume again in Baltimore. So when Jeremy Macklin heads to Baltimore, how excited are you by that? How does that impact Flacco and Wallace and Woodhead? He's, he's one of these guys. It's just like it's so difficult because we we live and we're, we're operating in a fantasy landscape where we always get excited for the, the new guy, the upside, the, the unknown. And we kind of know what Macklin is and we kind of know what the Ravens offense is. And it's not a lot to get excited about. I'm excited. I'm raising my hand. But hold on. You look at, uh, you blend those two situations together. You mix Macklin with that Ravens offense. On the surface, it's like, oh, yeah, and that should be pretty good. When it should be, oh, yeah, this should be really good. <laughs> yes, yes, get, get excited. You, sh- you should. And it's tough because Macklin's been in the league for so long, and the Ravens have, have never been like an offense to be collecting pieces of, uh, you know, that you get excited about, like the Patriots or the Packers or the Saints or something like that. But it makes a lot of sense that Macklin is going to be a pretty valuable piece of this Ravens offense. They love Rashad Perriman and Mike Wallace so much, they went out and got Macklin. <laughs> yes. They love uh, Terrence West and and Kenneth Dixon so much they went out and got Danny Woodhead. So these 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 two guys right here I think are still being drafted uh, way too low. You have Macklin going in, in FFPC drafts in in the ninth round. He really didn't rise that. Oh he was going God. like in the late the late ninth round. Okay, when he was sort of an afterthought in Kansas City and everybody was all about Tyreek Hill. Uh, then he gets cut. He goes in like the tenth, say for the the couple of days that he was was uh was a free agent he signs and he's still going in the ninth round of draft so did the news not make it to the ffpc community that jeremy macklin just went from a low volume offense to a high volume offense yeah maybe it's a a a pony express type thing they use all the internet bandwidth to draft teams but aren't you know logging on to playerprofiler.com because you know they don't have anything left um but you look at you look at macklin and like Again, you you talk about Dennis. Dennis Pitta had 86 catches last year, and now he's not going to be playing this year. Well, they're going to replace those somehow, and I think Macklin makes a lot of sense. Macklin and Woodhead uh, makes a lot of sense there. And and Macklin, again, going in the ninth round is is a must-have right now. I think that Mike Wallace and Brashad Perriman are going to clear space for Macklin and Woodhead underneath. And perhaps Ben Watson. We'll see how healthy he is in preseason. But those would be the guys 
to focus on in that offense, in particular, Macklin and Woodhead, because you can get them at great value. Woodhead is a full-blown zero RB candidate going in the double-digit rounds, Macklin in the ninth round. That's where you want to focus. Can you imagine monopolizing the target share with Macklin and Woodhead of the offense that led the league in pass attempts last season, and you don't have to spend more than a ninth-round pick? Do the math! Do the math, Eric! You 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 can't I mean like you you can't tell me that you get to the ninth round of these drafts and there's somebody that if you're gonna ignore Macklin in the ninth round for somebody else, it's clearly just because you you don't view him as uh all of a sudden having a career year. Because why why else would you ignore the production? Why else would you ignore the situation that he's in? Who who else is there that is gonna put up the type of numbers? And yeah. He's not going to be a 1,600-yard receiver with 14 touchdowns and 120 catches, but he's going to put up really good numbers for a ninth-round receiver in an era of fantasy football where people collect receivers like, uh, you know, like water, like food, like shelter. I mean, this is like if that's what you need in in fantasy right now. If you uh, look at a lot of uh, team construction for a lot of high-stakes players. Um, these receivers just pile up, and, and Macklin makes too much sense in the ninth round to continually ignore. And I do believe he is going to be popping up as we get you know, into training camps, and, and he'll move up uh, you know, at least a couple of rounds. But I don't know if he'll move up beyond that. Don't forget about the effect of this show. Oh, yeah, absolutely. This show is going to propel Jeremy Macklin's ADP. Everybody listens to the show. High-stakes players influencers in the community, other fantasy analysts, they listen to this show, and we are going to correct this egregious error with our voices on this show because all you need to do is go back to 2015 and see what a 36-year-old Steve Smith did in seven games, 18.7 fantasy points in 2015, in the same role that Jeremy Macklin is going to operate this year in Baltimore. I'll say it again, 2015, a 36-year-old wide receiver posted 18.7 fantasy points per game. Juxtapose that with Eric Decker going to Tennessee. How does Eric Decker going to Tennessee impact Mariota and Corey Davis and Rashard Matthews and Delaney Walker? Well, I think if you're Mariota, you have to love getting a big big receiver, an experienced big receiver. And very good looking. And well endowed, according to his wife. I mean, what's not to like about that? (laughs) You have him coming into uh, this offense where he uh, has excelled as a number two receiver before. He's never been all that great as the number one option, but when he has players around him, like Walker, like Corey Davis, uh, you know that he is going to be able to take advantage of that situation, and he has a talented quarterback throwing to him. So if you're Mariota, you're, you're loving that when you get inside the 20, you can just throw it up to Walker, Davis, Decker. I mean, all these guys, you, you got to have a lot of faith that they're going to come down with it. Hey, Marcus Mariota, Marcus Mariota, if you're listening to me, I get it you have these weapons, but for us fantasy owners, go ahead and run it in, will you, fella? <laughs> and he will do that, too. Yeah. You talk about uh, Perriman and... And uh, Wallace drawing space for Macklin. When you have all these three guys out there, there's going to be room uh, for Mariota to pick up first downs and touchdowns that way with his legs, too. Um, As far as Corey Davis goes, it doesn't help him this year. 
obviously, you know, his his fantasy numbers were going to be better without Eric Decker in this offense. Bad for Davis. But you you look at what this could mean for Corey Davis down the road. And in the same way, you don't want to put a lot of pressure on a young quarterback. There's not going to be a whole lot of pressure uh, put on Corey Davis that a lot of other number five overall picks uh, have had in the past their rookie year. So I think this is good news for him down the road. Walker, I think it obviously hurts because hurts. It is a guy that that uh, is going to be doing a lot of uh, similar things in this offense, uh, especially when Tennessee is getting close to scoring. Um, so I think that that's being a little bit underrated, especially in the fact that we talk about this on the HSFF hour a lot. Like Delaney Walker, every year we're, we're not very excited about him, and every single year he always seems to finish among the top of the tight end heap. And uh, this year maybe maybe he will take a step back if Decker's healthy for the majority of the season because his numbers will take away from what Walker's able to do. I think Delaney Walker is going to take a step all the way back from the number six tight end in 2016 to the number eight tight end in 2017 because there aren't a lot of better options across the tight end landscape, but it does hurt Delaney Walker. Absolutely. I don't think it hurts anyone more than Rashard Matthews because Rashard Matthews was scheduled to be the primary option in the passing game. He was going to be number one on the target totem pole. That's an exciting place to be, and Rashard Matthews has been extremely efficient for two consecutive seasons, so we were excited to see more volume sent to an efficient receiver, just like we're excited about more volume being sent to Jamison Crowder. However, Eric Decker's arrival in Tennessee is a death blow for everyone we listed. Why? Because the Tennessee Titans offensive line is only getting better. And this is counterintuitive. Many fantasy gamers put the offensive line as a checkmark on the side of the quarterback and the wide receivers. Good offensive line. Checkmark in their favor. A positive trait for Marcus Mariota and the wide receivers. It's not. One of the great fallacies in all of fantasy is that the offensive line helps the quarterback and the wide receivers. It does not. As long as that offensive line is one of the best run-blocking units in football, guess what? The Tennessee Titans are going to skew run. That's why Marcus Mariota's 451 attempts ranked number 24 in the NFL last year, and their 533 overall attempts was number 29 in the league. This is a low-volume offense. These are not the passing games in which you want to invest in fantasy football. You want to invest in the prolific passing games. Baltimore is that. Washington is that. New Orleans is that. Tennessee is not that. And if you're an auxiliary receiver, you're probably not worth drafting. So this is devastating for Rashard Matthews. It's devastating for Delaney Walker. It's certainly devastating for Corey Davis in redraft. Anyone that's drafting Corey Davis in redraft is a sucker. <laughs> you can absolutely draft Eric Decker because Eric Decker's the number one there. Eric Decker is one of the best wide receivers in the league. He has been since he entered the NFL. He is a top five red zone receiver. I mean, you pick a wide receiver to throw to in the red zone. After Des Bryant, Eric Decker's right there. So Eric Decker is going to get the red zone looks. Eric Decker is going to get those looks on third down when Marcus Mariota is forced to pass. So we still like Eric Decker, but I don't like him as much as I like Jeremy Macklin. Any member of that passing game, except the quarterback that can run, Marcus Mariota, is damaged by this Eric Decker arrival. You just have to do the math. Decker, too, by the way, still going right ahead of Macklin in drafts. That's got to change. Right. Whoever's doing that is wrong. 
If you're <laughs> looking at your draft board and Eric Decker's there and Jeremy Macklin's there and you're clicking on Eric Decker and you're clicking the draft player button, you're doing it wrong. So I want to talk to you about what you were doing wrong two years ago. Who is a player that you would have hated two years ago that you finally appreciate today? This is like totally late to the party, right? Late to the party question. Yeah, way late for the party and you're a little embarrassed. No, I'm totally embarrassed because, well, and I'll just tell you right away. It's Doug Baldwin. And Baldwin is a guy who was, I wasn't excited about when he was in college, Stanford, whatever, undrafted free agent. So just, you know, a, a, a jag, just a guy comes in in 2012. His catch, he's got, he's gotten more catches every single year, except for his rookie year. Every single year since then, he has gotten more catches every single year. 29, up, then to 50, up, then to 66, up, then to 78. Up, Last up, year, 94. Up, up and away! 94 catches for Baldwin last year. He had the 14 touchdown season, obviously, two years ago. I still, I, I just, I kept waiting for him to start playing like an undrafted free agent. I kept waiting for for him to come back down to earth, and he never did. And even when Russell Wilson was, you know, playing hurt, Baldwin was still making plays for Wilson. He was still, um, you know, scoring touchdowns, getting first downs, piling up fantasy points, whatever, however you want to to look at it. But he wasn't a pedigree guy to me. And like now, I look at it. You're slapping your forehead. Yeah, no, and I see, I see where he's going in drafts right now. It's like the usual suspects. Yeah, totally. The coffee cup is dropping, and you're like Doug Ball. And Doug Baldwin is is walking with with a limp to to this to Seahawks Stadium, you know, and saying like, "Yeah, it was me the whole time, Balkman. It was me the whole time." Yes. So frustrating, and I can't do anything about it because you know it's it's like he never existed to me, and now he's going at the at the in the early third round of FFPC drafts, and it's just like I look at it like, where did this come from? I don't know. It's been like this for years. And high stakes players have been drafting them. Like I just always found a better option, and now it's just like he's pretty safe. He's gonna be going in the second round by the time I arrive in Vegas in early September. Yeah, I mean it's just he keeps climbing up and he keeps doing better, and I feel really, really bad that I've never drafted him before. <laughs> don't feel bad, man. Just don't tell him this. I hope he's not listening to this specific episode. I, he obviously listens to the to the Roto Underworld radio all the time, but I hope he misses this one because I'm embarrassed. I met Doug Bald when I told him about Roto Underworld radio, but I do not think that he listens. He's an impressive guy to meet in person. There are just some people that have a charisma and a confidence about them where you just look at them and go, this guy is going to be successful in life. I'm not sure what he's going to do, but... Whatever he chooses to devote his energies to, he will be successful. That was the aura that surrounded Doug Baldwin when I met him in person. And he is delivering! I love Doug Baldwin! He's the number one guy, number one target in that offense. He has some question marks in the backfield again this year. Still offensive line question marks, too. It's not like Seattle went out and got anybody. No. There's, they still have... You know, Richardson and Lockett and, and Baldwin and Graham. But, I mean, like, Baldwin is a guy that just – he doesn't really seem to – like, when you give him the opportunity, it's not like he, he disappoints you really. You know what I mean? He's, he's the type of guy that's just like, okay, well, he's going to have uh, uh, many chances to make a lot of plays every week. And he seems to make a play a lot of plays every single week. 
and he doesn't just let you down as far as fantasy goes. Yeah, he has the you know the clunker every now and then, but everybody does. And Baldwin is is should be treated as one of the elites uh, in the NFL uh, as far as receivers go. Well, he was an elite fantasy performer in the second half of 2015. He was yeah. a top five fantasy wide receiver during that eight game stretch, and then last year a top ten fantasy wide receiver, despite Russell Wilson having arguably his worst season of his career. So we've never seen a full season of target hog Doug Baldwin paired with efficient Russell Wilson. We've never seen it. The year that target hog Doug Baldwin meets efficient Russell Wilson, Doug Baldwin could achieve top five fantasy wide receiver status. So when I talk about the perceived upside of these slot flanker target hogs, that's what I'm talking about. Because they receive such incredible volume as a key member of a prolific and efficient passing attack, like the Seattle Seahawks could be if Russell Wilson is fully unlocked, like Washington has been as it relates to Jamison Crowder, this is how a player like a Jamison Crowder or a Doug Baldwin can have upside that never gets discussed. Because most fantasy gamers are talking about the upside of the size-speed specimen. What could be for Terrell Pryor? He looks the part of a proper prototypical NFL X receiver. So those are the wide receivers that are perceived to have all the upside. When in reality, these high-volume slot flankers that are playing particular roles on particular offenses have the same, if not more, upside than the wide receivers that look the part but no one talks about them in terms of upside. And for me, it's maddening because all because it's just math. If you just look at the projected volume and combine it with the efficiency that these wide receivers bring to the table, it has to get you excited. But if the wide receiver is 5'10", and he's not running a sub 4'540", fantasy gamers pretend like there's no upside there. And they couldn't be more wrong. This is like how we as fantasy players mime real life NFL GMs, right? Like when when they're looking to select players in the NFL draft. Oh, how tall is he? Oh, five ten. Oh, how, how fat? What, what's his forty? Uh, four five five. Yeah, we're done. How does Antonio Brown make it to the sixth round? Because he doesn't look the part. What does Billy Bean say in, in Moneyball? Where those scouts were trying to sell jeans. You got to have the guy who looks good. You don't have to get the guy that produce. You produce the guys that produce. Those are the guys that you want on your fantasy team doesn't matter if they look the part or not, as long as they're piling up points. It should be all you care about. Do you know who the most consistent producer at the wide receiver position at the college level was the past two seasons? No. The most consistent, prolific producer, a wide receiver that posted over 17 yards per reception in consecutive seasons with 1,000-plus yards. Do you know who that player is? Educate me. His name's Taewon Taylor from Western Kentucky. And do you know who Taewon Taylor's best comparable player is on playerprofiler.com? Antonio Brown. Doug Baldwin. And Taewon Taylor was not drafted in the first round, and Taewon Taylor was not drafted in the second round. And five years from now, when Taewon Taylor is outproducing Corey Davis, no one should be surprised! You're not allowed to be surprised. Because Matt Kelly and Eric Balkman told you this was possible in 2017 on the Roto Underworld Radio program. Now, we talked earlier about the aging running backs that continue to be heavily discounted. Danny Woodhead is the best example of this, but I'm seeing a lot 
I'm seeing Jonathan Stewart at value. I'm seeing Adrian Peterson at value, given that he should score double-digit touchdowns if he's healthy. Frank Gore is being underdrafted. Matt Forte is available in the double-digit rounds, as is Darren Sproles. Is this the year of the old running back? And if so, which 30-year-old running back do you believe is the best value in fantasy drafts? It certainly seems like old is, is the new is the new new is the new young essentially this year you know you're, you're you really fucked that up you want to try that again <laughs> it's, old is the new new i think <laughs> i think that's right old is the new new old is the new new i guess eric move on all right okay we'll move on uh okay so you look at so you look at these guys right and um a lot of people um who are going zero rb will end up counting on these guys for significant production this year, whether it be, you know, Danny Woodhead and all the passes he's going to catch in Baltimore and, and Adrian Peterson playing in, in, uh, you know, with new Orleans now and Frank Gore, who seemingly is, you know, not human and just that, you know, has, has had at the same floor and ceiling at the same levels for the last like six years, you know, it, it, whoever it is, Jonathan Stewart to me is the interesting guy in this conversation because he's a guy that I, I almost religiously draft and I've never targeted him ever. He is the guy that when you hit the double digit rounds, he's the guy that like when you go to work and that somebody brings in donuts and you're like, oh, I'm just going to get, you know, get going at my desk and then I'll go get, get a donut. And then you forget that the donuts are there. And then you go in there and, you know, there's all these like awful like the you know, the cinnamon roll ones that's, you know, that don't have the frosting on. And- Who gets just plain donuts? Who's the person that's saying, hey, make sure you include plain flavorless donuts in that box? Yeah, like the, the cake donuts are left and, and there's like a powdered sugar ring one. But in the middle, like almost glowing is this chocolate frosted chocolate donut right in the middle. You can't even believe that this box sat in there for like an hour. How is this donut still left? How is this still available for me to just take and grab? And you take it and you grab it and you bite into it and immediately you realize why it's uh, still available. It's filled with that nasty Bavarian cream that nobody likes. And it's that's why it's still there because everybody knew but you. And that's like what it's like drafting You Jonathan thought it was cream. a jelly donut, but it was Bavarian cream. Yeah, or just even plain or like vanilla frosting in the middle. Don't put the Bavarian cream in it. It's just, and by now with as many donuts as I've eaten, I should be able to judge the weight because the Bavarian cream weighs more than the ones that just have that, yes. that whipped filling. Yes. I should, as soon, as soon as I pick it up, I should know like, Oh, okay, this is clearly Bavarian cream, but Jonathan Stewart's the same thing. Oh my gosh. Jonathan Stewart starting running back available in the 11th round. How is he still available? I got to get him. And then you draft him, and then you consistently start him, And you're like, this is why he was still available because he's so inconsistent. And he's a guy that I, I you know, again, I'm going to say, I'm not going to draft him on any teams this year and I'll probably get him on a half dozen because that's how the way it works. I just, I can't believe he's out there and I'll draft him and he's, he disappoints me. The guy that I think is the most valuable that I will have uh, on the majority of my teams this year is Danny Woodhead. Just and for reasons we already talked about. He's going to catch a ton of passes this year. This is a guy who finished as the number two running back in PPR scoring in 2015. And it's not like he's got heavy mileage on him. Uh, you alluded to uh, you've alluded to satellite running backs, how they're, they're, they play well in space, and they're not messing around with all the trash in the middle. They're not um, you know, absorbing this pounding. And Woodhead is the same. He's in his 30s, but he's still – 
playing at a very high level, and he's going to continue to do so this year. You can't perceive Danny Woodhead and Darren Sproles the same way you perceive Adrian Peterson and Frank Gore in terms of usage and mileage because they've absorbed many fewer touches. And the touches that they have absorbed have been of the in-space variety where they can just slide out of bounds, where they can slide under a guy. And they're not taking the pounding that the between the tackles grinders take. Now, let me change your mind about Jonathan Stewart because I think Jonathan Stewart is one of the great values in fantasy football at the running back position. The last two seasons, there's been one running back that has finished top 10 in opportunity share on a team whose rushing attempts were in the top 10 both seasons. Do you know which running back that is? I would guess Jonathan Stewart. It's Jonathan Stewart. So when we're talking about opportunity, and that's what this game is, seasonal leagues and DFS, it's a game of opportunity. Once you get into dynasty, it's much more about the player's ability. But as long as we're talking about seasonal leagues, then you need to focus first and foremost on opportunity and forget the rest. Because oftentimes, the efficiency gets noisy. When you look at Jonathan Stewart, he's on a run-first team that scores a lot of points. And he dominates the opportunity share. Jonathan Stewart dominates the opportunity share on a team that runs the ball a lot and scores a lot of points. These are the fundamentals of winning fantasy football leagues. Drafting those players at value and not caring about previous disappointments or what donut flavor they taste like. <laughs> yes, 12 fantasy points per game is the quintessential plain donut. I understand that. But if things break right and the Carolina Panthers are serious about winding back Cam Newton's carries, particularly in the red zone, then that's the difference between Jonathan Stewart being a 12 fantasy points per game running back and being outside the top 12, and Jonathan Stewart being a 15 fantasy points per game running back and being a low-end RB1 in fantasy that you got in the 15th round. You're just making me feel better about Stewart because I'm going to draft him. You're going to draft him. I mean, you're going to draft him. We got to get out ahead of it and start rationalizing it in June. <laughs> right, exactly. Right, listen, if I could rationalize uh, more of my picks like this, fantasy football would be much more enjoyable for me. Now, you talked earlier about the Tyreek Hill hype train, how Tyreek Hill was getting drafted many rounds before Jeremy Macklin, before Jeremy Macklin was released. Now, Tyreek Hill is the number one option in Kansas City, and his ADP is a helium balloon. Eric Decker heads to the Titans, and a number one wide receiver spot opens up for Quincy Inunua. So you would think that Tyreek Hill and Quincy Inunua would have parallel ADPs rising as the enthusiasm builds, but that's not what's happening. Quincy Inunua's ADP has remained muted, while Tyreek Hill's is going places I never imagined an unproven player could go on a low-volume pass attack. Just the heights of irrational exuberance. So given that they have vastly different ADPs, who do you think is the better breakout player? Tyreek Hill or Quincy Inunua? When you bring in draft value into this, to me, it's no question that I'm going to have a lot more Inunua this year than Tyreek Hill. Right now in FFPC drafts, Tyreek Hill is going at the end of the fourth round. I've already seen oh, within the... No, hold on. No, listen. Uh, listen. I want you... I, I wish you had a seatbelt. I feel like I was just tasered. You're going to need to brace yourself for this one. A couple of days ago, uh, I was facilitating a draft online. Don't do it, Eric. And do uh, it. the guy who had the number no. one pick, no. I can't remember who he took at the, at the 301, but the no. 212, Tyreek Hill. No, no, no! Why? Why? 
Congratulations. You just lost a fantasy football league, buddy. <laughs> and Hill just keeps climbing. And I don't know if it's, you know, we know who the quarterback is in Kansas City. We, we you know, we know that Kansas City will actually have an offense, you know, in comparison to the Jets. And Tyreek Hill was obviously, he passes the eye test. He was electric last year with a lot of the plays that he made. You look at Anunua, and, and here's, here's the problems that I think drafters have with him. He's non-pedigree. He's a six-round pick. Okay, he's he's going uh, seven rounds after Tyreek Hill, and there's a sweet spot for receivers right now in FFPC drafts in this like nine to eleven range. There is a ton of receivers who don't have the um, background, that don't have the the proven credentials, but have the opportunity that had that are going to be targeted a lot, that are going to have opportunities for high volumes in their offense, and he's one of them. Uh, in Nunwa going uh, at the end of the uh, 11th round right now. So for me, uh, as much as Tyreek Hill broke out last year, I don't know how much more successful he's going to be than what he did. But in Nunwa, compared to what oh. he did last year, I think that uh, you're talking about uh, an exponential rise in, in his production from 2016 to 2017. What if we put the ADP aside? Then what? If I could take Tyreek Hill or Nunwa at the same spot in drafts, and assuming it's the 11th round, I'm probably going to take Hill over a noon one. I asked the question because it's interesting to me because Quincy Anunua looks the part of that Terrell Pryor size speed specimen that fits the prototypical X receiver perfectly that generally elicits the enthusiasm of fantasy gamers. Generally, when you see a Quincy Anunua rise to the number one wide receiver chair on a team, he's the one that's infused with the hype. Not the small guy from the small school screaming one-year wonder. So to me, it's just fascinating to study the behavior of the fantasy gamer. The thing is with Anunua, he played college at Nebraska, which is not, I mean, nobody watched him there as, or as a receiver. You don't go to, to watch Nebraska football to, to watch receivers. He, I mean, he, he does have the size, no question about that. But again, we're talking about recency bias in fantasy, and I think you bring this up when you talk about study um, the fantasy gamer. You have Tyree Kill, who is fresh in our minds of housing these 80-yard punt returns and taking a, a little bubble screen 60 yards uh, to the end zone. So, I mean, this is what's fresh in our minds. Now, I don't, I'm not going to condone a seven round difference between these two guys because that's irresponsible drafting and it needs to be fixed. And I think it will be fixed. Um, but at the same time, I, I think that Inunwa doesn't have those wild plays. He doesn't have that, that body of work behind him for, for players to get excited about drafting as, as a big breakout. He's Matt, he's going to be a perfect example when people look back at the 2017 season and look at, oh, you know, I came up just short or, oh. Slap their forehead. My team just sucked. And uh, well, who won this league? Oh, this guy. Oh, he had a Nunez as number four receiver. Oh, man, he got him in the 11th round. What? How did I let him slip to the 11th round? Why wasn't I drafting him in the 10th? You right. know, stuff like that. He, that's a Nunez uh, title this year. This is why so many people are subscribing to our rankings on playerprofiler.com forward slash player dash rankings because we have Crowder ahead of Pryor, because we have Quincy Nunwa ranked ahead of Tyreek Hill. That's why we're not just some version of the consensus ranks. These are contrarian ranks that in some cases 
heavily skew away from the ADP of even expert leagues, and I'm fine with that. I'm very comfortable in my evaluation of Tyreek Hill and Quincy Anunua because I understand metrics like college dominator rating. Quincy Anunua is why the metric was invented. 41.7%, 82nd percentile dominator rating for Quincy Anunua tells you that he was a mega producer at Nebraska, but because he was operating in a run-first offense at the college level, he did not post the counting stats that would get anyone's attention and then was drafted in the sixth round. That's how that happens, but that's why we have dominator rating, which shows a wide receiver's percentage of receiving yards and touchdowns for his team instead of the raw counting stats, and then we can continue to look back at their college careers, at the players' respective college careers as we generate our rankings, and we see Quincy Anuno was a dominant college receiver, and Tyree Kill was in no way productive at even the college level, even at West Alabama. He didn't even lead his own team in receiving, and you never see that. The NFL wide receiver from a small school almost always, without exception, dominated the targets and the receptions at the college level. So Tyree Kill is an extreme outlier in that he wasn't the target hog and he wasn't even the most productive member of his own passing game at a school like West Alabama. This is where the Tyreek Hill ADP doesn't pass the sniff test. So if we go even deeper on these teams, the Chiefs and the Jets, who's a better sleeper breakout candidate? Regardless of ADP, is it Robbie Anderson or is it Chris Conley? That's another one, too. That, I mean, because these guys are basically going at the same spot in drafts right now. I mean, if, if you and if you wanted to, you could take Anderson in the 17th and Conley in the 18th and, and see if either or both of them. That's going to flip, though. In two weeks, that'll flip. I think Conley is going to end up going a couple rounds ahead of Anderson. And that's entirely possible. And, and these things are all fluid. And I would certainly not disagree with you on that. You look at the Jets offense. Uh, we already talked about Inunua. Okay, but what if he doesn't work out? What if, for whatever reason, he just um, can't make the plays? Uh, we can't explain it. Maybe maybe uh, who's ever quarterbacking the Jets, Hackenberg or McCown or whoever, maybe they start peppering in. It can't be Hackenberg. It just can't be. It can't, it can't be Hackenberg. You know those political rallies where they go with the sign that just says anyone but him or anyone but her, just not him, just not her? Well, I'll show up at the Jet Stadium, and I'll picket the game with a sign that reads, anyone but Hackenberg. Anyone! There's also the possibility that Tebow signed with the Mets to be close to this Jet situation, just in case such an opportunity could develop where the Jets bring Tebow back, too. Oh, wow. I love it. I love it. As soon as he gets cut from double A. And uh, in that offense, there's... Listen, you want to make plays. You want to have an opportunity... Welcome to the New York Jets, because there are there is nobody there that is established as an established playmaker. Maybe it's Anderson. I don't know. It's certainly going to be uh, free for me to pick him in drafts right now. Maybe he ends up being the guy. He's an undrafted free agent. So is Doug Baldwin. I mean, th- th- these guys pop up from time to time. And by no means am I saying Robbie Anderson is comparable to Doug Baldwin. I'm just saying the possibility exists for Anderson to ha- to to give you better than 17th round value. Chris Conley, on the other hand, was a third round pick by the Chiefs, was an athletic freak. I mean, this is a, this is a guy who had people at the combine wowed by the metrics uh, that he was putting up there. Um, now, he's still going to be behind in the pecking order 
uh, you know, behind Travis Kelsey. You can make the case that uh, Spencer Ware and Kareem Hunt will be more involved than Chris Conley will in that offense. And obviously we've seen the way that Tyreek Hill's being drafted right now as well. So maybe Conley has a few more roadblocks uh, to get to the situation that Anderson is in where he doesn't really have to, you know, um, beat out anybody proven, uh, whereas Conley does. I think that, you know, between these two, um, the, 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 the better breakout back just because of the opportunity in front of him for me is, is Anderson, but I can certainly see Conley having his best season yet. This may be the best question I've ever asked on the show because I'm stumped. (laughs) I'm stumped. I'm stumped by my own question. Usually I ask these questions rhetorically just so I can bulldoze the guest with my own opinion. (laughs) I mean, if anyone's familiar with this show, I mean, this show is basically set up to invite a guest to come on. They feel honored to come on, be part of the show. I'm the Howard Stern of fantasy football. And then they just get run over for an hour and a half because I'm just trying to ask the questions that allow me to get in there with my opinion. Until now. Until this question. Because I'm confused. Because Chris Conley and Robbie Anderson had the same receiving yards, same number of receptions. They both have similar athletic profiles. They're both in low-volume offenses. There's very little distinguishing these two players Except one is behind a prototypical NFL X receiver in Quincy Inunua, and the other is behind the most fraudulent number one receiver in the history of the National Football League. <laughs> However, on the other hand, the Chiefs project to be a run-first team that is winning games with their defense and their run game. We know that's how the Chiefs are going to operate and call plays in 2017. The Jets may enjoy significant garbage time in 2017. This is a tanking team, and it's nice to have the wide receivers on the teams that are tanking. So even though Chris Conley has a clearer path to the number one wide receiver on that target totem pole, I still would rather have Robbie Anderson because I think there will be more opportunity in New York. There's no Travis Kelsey. You don't have a quarterback that prefers to check it down to the running back and the tight end. And there will be more volume in New York because they will be losing by double-digit points in the second half of most games. So for that reason, I give the slightest, I mean the most microscopic edge to Robbie Anderson. Now I got one more wide receiver dichotomy for you small fast cardinals receivers who you got john brown or jj nelson for me and maybe memory is failing me on this one but i believe nelson had his best games when john brown was either hobbled playing playing through his you know sickle cell trait what have you um or just wasn't on the field um john brown uh i'm betting on the bounce back this year Maybe it's only because you can get him in double-digit rounds right now, and I think that's too low. He's, again, in that wide receiver sweet spot in the ninth to 11th round when there's a lot of of, of upside. There is. And J.J. Nelson um, is obviously going much later. So, I mean, if you wanted to, um, you could sink uh, a 10th rounder and a 17th rounder and, and get both of them. That, for me, I would, ra- I, I would rather have Brown. I don't think I'll be taking too many wide receiver flyers uh, that late. 
But, I, I mean, I certainly <laughs> – J.J. Nelson is a pretty good way to spend a 17th-round pick this Hell year. Yeah. Give, especially given, you know, this could be Fitz's last year. Um, it, it, you know, there's going to be the opportunity in that offense for receivers to step up. We don't know if, if John Brown is is over this. You know, the Cardinals are saying they know how to manage it better. Well, shouldn't they have known that last year? I mean, yeah. how, how hard is it to know how to manage this type of thing um, when, when he's had it the majority of the season? I, I just would figure out when you have – the best doctors in the world, you can figure out a be- the best way to do this. So, I, you know, Nelson and Brown, I think both are are going to outperform their draft spots this year. If you draft John Brown, you are obligated to draft J.J. Nelson in the 17th round, are you not? I mean, we don't do too much wide receiver handcuffing, but if you had to pick the one instance where it makes sense to draft a player's direct backup at the wide receiver position, it would be J.J. Nelson because that depth chart is wide open after John Brown and J.J. Nelson. There's nothing there. In three receiver sets, you have to imagine Brown and Nelson will both be in the game. However, because they run a similar route tree, it makes sense that J.J. Nelson would be productive only when John Brown doesn't play. This is intuitive. This is the stretch X or stretch Z position. So that's what you would expect. But if I'm drafting John Brown, I'm absolutely drafting J.J. Nelson because in those rounds, there are very few wide receivers worth drafting. You've got J.J. Nelson, you've got Paul Richardson, you've got Cole Beasley, and that's about it. So you might as well roster J.J. Nelson in that instance and lock up Carson Palmer's field stretcher, which we've seen is a very productive asset in fantasy football. But J.J. Nelson is behind John Brown. Okay, that, He's behind him. So... Anyone that's drafting J.J. Nelson before John Brown is doing it wrong. And damn it, I want Macklin, and I want John Brown, and I want Anunwa. The value is so good in that 9th, 10th, and 11th round at the wide receiver position. And you look at those draft slots, uh, some people are also drafting quarterbacks in those draft slots. Who's your go-to late-round quarterback? Well, I'm, you know, I obviously love waiting on quarterback every single year to the I don't even bother to ask anyone if they implement late-round quarterback. I just assume that they do. So who's your guy? My co-host, Dave Gerzak, always says that um, I wait on a quarterback to the point of being a dick about it. And I, and I think – and there's, and there's other, there's other high-stakes guys out there that are known for, for doing that as well. So for me, like when I talk about this guy that I love you know, drafting late, this would be like my second quarterback. Okay, so I'll just tell you right right now. I like Tyrod Taylor. I, I'm a I'm a big fan of of him. Seemingly the last couple of years, I've gotten him a lot, and his legs always just make him uh, valuable enough for me to start um, on on any given week when when I need to plug somebody in. Now I would take Tyrod Taylor. Like he's going in the 14th round right now of FFPC dress. So if I was going to take him there, he would probably be my second quarterback. I would probably would have already taken somebody you know, in the ninth, 10th, 11th round, somewhere around there, maybe 12th, uh, if I was going to wait. There's guys. There are guys. There are guys. Would not even take Tyrod Taylor as their starter in the 14th round. They would they would wait to like the 17th and take like, you know, Carson Wentz. No, you as can't their, do that. As their starter you can't do and, that. And, and pair him with Joe Flacco or somebody like that. The cutoff is Carson Palmer. You can't go past Carson Palmer. You simply cannot let Carson Palmer go. Once Philip Rivers and Andy Dalton are the best quarterbacks on the board. You have to push the button. I love Andy Dalton. I love Carson Palmer. I love Phillip Rivers because these are great quarterbacks that perform well in fantasy almost every year, and you can get them late. 
very late. So we're all incentivized to go late round quarterbacks when that talent is available so late. Yeah, I was just going to say, I think most high stakes players would agree with the, the the Palmer cutoff too, because you look at right now, he's going like right in that 14th round area with Dalton, Taylor, and Palmer. Palmer's the last one of the three. And then you don't see another quarterback coming off the board until like the mid 16th. And that's usually uh, Blake Bortles. And then you get into Ryan Tannehill and tasered again when you said ryan Tannehill, i just tasered again so those are the quarterbacks what about those late round running backs give me the running back doesn't have to necessarily be in the late late rounds but the running back who's redraft adp you're most pleasantly perplexed by like which running backs adp just makes no sense to you i would i mean not to keep ringing the the danny woodhead bell here no, you can't say Danny Woodhead if you already talked about it. On this show, we do not do repeats in show. We only do repeats in future shows where I just keep hearkening back to the same hobby horse topic over and over and over and over again. And I just repackage my same analysis over and over and over again. But within the same show, we're not allowed to lapse into repeat. The other guy I would say at this point, uh, if I can't say Woodhead, is a guy that... It doesn't he doesn't make much Thomas Rawls to me does not make much sense to go in the 13th round right now he's a guy that goes essentially seven rounds after Eddie Lacy uh five rounds after CJ Procise and in the 13th round I'm just I, I'm those are my swing for the fences picks you know like we always say on the on the HSFFR there's don't you can't we're not going to make fun of you for any pick you take after the 10th round it's tough for us to do that okay now I know you can and you will and that's fine. Oh, I will. Oh, I'm here. That's what I'm here for. Oh, yeah. I'm here for the backwards-looking analysis <laughs> using hindsight to mock every single fantasy gamer because one of you have done the thing that I've criticized at one point. All of you. I'm looking at you and you and you and you and you and you. None of you have been able to completely avoid my wrath. Thomas Rawls, to me, when he, when he's going that much further down than Lacey and Procise, guys who are probably sending Christmas gifts and, and to their trainers, you know what I mean? Like they exchange Christmas gifts. They probably have those trainers over every single year because they've got to know, gotten to know them so well because of the time that they've spent on the shelf in Seattle. And Rawls, too. I mean, I'm not excusing him. There's probably a big Christmas dinner every single year with Rawls, and Procise and the Seattle training staff that Eddie Lacy will be invited to this year, and he'll be asked to probably bring his own food uh, because they probably would not have enough if uh, Lacy just showed up uh, sans turkey and stuffing and 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 whatever you know ham, whatever you serve at Christmas. But it is ham, yes. <laughs> Northeast Wisconsin, it's all you know. Ludafisk and uh, you know whatever whatever we're catching in the lake uh, ice fishing uh, for Christmas that's what we serve. Come on over for just uh, whatever from the lake. Yeah, salted cod. That's what we're gonna have this year. Yes. Thomas Rawls in the thirteenth. Uh, I'll I'll get on board with that upside and, and play him when he will be the starter. Uh, you know, and I'm sure that there's going to be weeks this year where he will be a you know should provide top fifteen value. And if I can get him in the thirteenth, I'll keep him on my roster for that. I think you're wrong because Thomas Rawls 
is younger than 30 years old. I think that we're required, once we get into double-digit rounds, to just only draft the old running backs. It's the year of the old running back, so you need to focus on Sproles, you need to focus on Jonathan Stewart, you need to focus on Adrian Peterson, you need to focus on Frank Gore and Danny Woodhead. Those are the guys that you need to focus on in the double-digit rounds. You're not allowed to draft anyone young. They have to have gray hairs to make their way onto my roster in the later rounds. Now, final question to get you out of here on this. Give me that wide receiver that you still qualify for truth or status on. That wide receiver has been in the league for a long time, and he's really the opposite of Doug Baldwin. You've always been a believer, but he's never delivered. But you think this could be the year. (laughs) See, now this is – I'm not comfortable with the whole truth or status because I feel like as a wishy-washy podcast host – I tend to change my opinions quite frequently based on the draft value. You don't have conviction about anybody. No, just don't tell anybody that. But yeah, <laughs> now, now, now let me now let me now let me share this with you. Uh, conversely, I'll say this: it seems like, and this is totally organic. I don't just make this up for for radio or or to to sure. make good to for, you know for people to download and say, oh, this sure. is really yeah, you know sure. interesting. Sure, sure. So sure. every sure. every year, sure, there's a guy. I seem to be all about say like, I can't understand why he's going this late. And every year it blows up in my face. Ryan Tannehill, Robert Griffin, Justin Forsett, Eddie Lacy, Kobe Fleener, CJ Anderson. All these guys have been my guys. Oh, who's who? Shiver just ran down my spine with that list of names. (laughs) This year, I, I feel like I finally got it right. Okay, I'm ready. I'm holding on. Can't find anybody to support me. Like all these high stakes players that that come on my show, and nobody is back. But Martavis Bryant. Hey. Now his ADP. No, maybe this is what it is. It's like one of these things where you're you're not going to come on and, and agree with me and say Martavis Bryant is going to be outperforming his draft spot this year. But FFPC drafters are still drafting him at. Um, at the in the middle of the sixth round right now yeah they're drafting him like he's still on crack he's not he's off it guys he's off it he passed the tests he was reinstated this is not josh gordon he's already proved that he's not josh gordon you can draft him on merit now in redraft i understand some hesitation investing in martavis bryant and dynasty but in redraft it's wheels up baby yeah and and the thing is with bryant too he's he plays on one of those prolific passing offenses that you want to have a piece of thank you we've seen what he thank you what he it's math eric it's It's math math tavis bryant now listen (laughs) you you've seen what he could do uh already in the nfl it's not like we're just waiting for a breakout None of this is speculative with Martavis Bryant. This is all just concrete numbers. Point to Martavis Bryant outperforming his ADP. He's rocked up. He spent the offseason trying to get good in the NFL's eyes, which we know is not an easy thing to do once you have this, you know, scarlet M uh, on your chest, as, as, as he does, or scarlet W, whatever it would be. Um, but you have, uh, you have um, Martavis Bryant... Having his quarterback call him, he looks like a stud. He's rocked up. He's put on this muscle. I mean, there's there's so many good things uh, going Bryant's direction right now. I feel like people haven't caught up to that. Now, maybe that changes when we reach September for the main event drafts and you see Martavis Bryant going in like the third or fourth round. I don't think that's going to happen, but it's a possibility. But right now in the sixth round, he makes a lot of sense uh, to grab on a lot of teams. Yeah, this is a player who looks the part just like Terrell Pryor. But unlike Terrell Pryor, he has 
proven high-performance seasons on his resume and, like Terrell Pryor, will be operating in one of these high-pass volume offenses. Martavis Bryant is the ultimate high-risk, low-risk, high-ceiling, win-your-fantasy-league-every-time player in the NFL. I enjoyed it too. I learned a lot about myself in the last two hours. Yeah. Did you? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you made it. It's like a ropes course of some kind that, you know, you just do for the hell of it because, you know, it's a a life accomplishment. I will cross it off my bucket list. Get yelled at. Private Balkman! Now you just sound like my wife. So, I mean, I'm used used to that. Get home from work and I get the damn it Balkmans over and over and over again. Who gets just plain donuts? Who's the person that's saying, hey, make sure you include plain flavorless donuts in that box? Oh my gosh, Jonathan Stewart starting running back available in the 11th round? How is he still available? I gotta get him. Congratulations, you just lost a fantasy football league, buddy. Old is is the new, is the new new, is the new young, essentially, this year. You know, you're, you're... You really fucked that up. You wanna try that again? that this is going to be the hottest chick in school and you're going to have her hanging off this you're going to have her hanging off your arm and you this is how you introduce her to the rest of the of your high school classmates that's what you're secretly hoping for and ultimately she realizes this and goes with a different you know football player and then you kind of realize oh hey this girl who's been a placeholder this whole time wasn't that bad after all and you commit to her with the largest contract in NFL history because one of you have done the thing that I've criticized at one point. All of you, looking at you, and you, and you, and you, and you, and you, none of you have been able to completely avoid my wrath. That was a great story. (laughs) Anyone but Hackenberg. Anyone! Regress from what? Where were they last year? He hasn't done anything, Eric! He hasn't done squat! He hasn't done squat! He hasn't done squat! They're not even winning yet! This is what I'm saying! This are not even winning yet! And he's receiving this praise! Imagine if they start winning! What if he wins a playoff game? Oh my god, my head is going to explode! turning the volume down and smiling because we just don't get it, quote-unquote. You get damn right we don't get it, Derek! We don't get it! How are we so wrong about Derek Carr? Like, why couldn't he be as good as his older brother was? (laughs) Poor Derek! He just can never get out from the shadow of his brother David. (laughs) I don't want to live in any reality where any car of any kind is the highest paid quarterback in the league and is thought to be one of the MVP candidates despite not being special in any way on the football field! Fantasy football podcasting is the highest saturation rate of podcasting in any industry. But we all take that as a truth for granted, right? That everybody has a podcast. But that's not normal. (laughs) 
<laughs> right? We've been in it for so long with so many podcasts that it's not normal that everyone has a podcast. So there's something there where we really are, in some ways, leaders and innovators and first movers in podcasting and fantasy football. And there really should be a whole fantasy land devoted to the first podcaster, whoever that was, a Sigmund Bloom, you and Dave, and just a bunch of people and like the evolution of fantasy football podcasting. That would be a fantastic fantasy land. Yeah, a podcast about a podcast. No one that I've ever talked to has said this is anything but a phenomenal episode idea. Yeah, I think phenomenal at a minimum. No, I, I totally, I didn't even think about that before. That's that, that has the potential to be one of the best fantasy lands ever. It's a grassroot effort to get this episode made without me contributing anything except gas bagging for a few segments during an interview for it. I'm putting this idea out there so that clearly you'll interview me. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would make a great interview subject. I mean, if you wanted to go that direction constantly jamming them and if they start getting other people asking about it they're just gonna be like oh shit we're gonna have to do that podcast that matt wants to do god damn it that's his job pretty much his only job and he can't do it so maybe don't draft him in the top three quarterbacks they're sabotaging their own ability to sabotage Kirk cousins how much they love Jamison Crowder and what an important piece of the offense Jamison Crowder is going to be in 2017. And I'm sitting here saying, well, duh, duh. Getting a big, big receiver Mm. and well endowed, according to his wife. Mm. 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 You have him coming. I wait on a quarterback to the point of being a dick about it. What does Billy Bean say in in Moneyball? Those scouts were trying to sell jeans. You got to have the guy who looks good. And Doug Baldwin is is walking with with a limp to 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 Seahawks Stadium, you know, and saying like, yeah, it was me the whole time, Balkman. It was me the whole time. I feel like I was just tasered. I was tasered again. When you said Ryan Tannehill, I was tasered again. People think that I end the show with just this extemporaneous, enthusiastic ending. But sometimes it's rehearsed. Sometimes I have to do it a second time, a second take. Well, you're a professional. I mean, that's what professionals do. We've set a standard here at Roto Underworld Radio, damn it. And it's going to sound good. It is. And and there's not going to be a lot of mistakes in these shows. And I'm a little bit obsessive compulsive about it. And I get it. And my wife is dealing with it. And my psychologist is helping me through it. But in the meantime, enjoy the incredibly high quality podcast that is Roto Underworld Radio, people. It's all for the listeners. Matt is a very altruistic podcast host. He's all about the listeners. He's all about the guests. I feel like I've been treated like royalty. I'm looking down and there's red carpet under my feet right now. Yes, like when you said old is the new new and that didn't make any sense. And even now, thinking back, I still don't know what the fuck you were talking about. You definitely broke the Roto Underworld record for metaphors in a show. (laughs) I'm still waiting to use my first one on the High Stakes Fantasy Football Hour. Oh, right. Yes. Yeah, the problem is Dave scoops them all up there before I can even get them. I'm not as good with the metaphors. What I do is I telegraph the metaphors. I try to think of them before the show and write them down. And then they always come out a little clunky because the extemporaneous metaphor is just not in my toolkit. 
listen, you got too many other tools in there right now. You'd have to take something out to fit that in. And that's not you. Yes, just leaning back and yelling dominates the pack of tools. Really the only thing in there. That's my skill set. Uh, so, hey, uh, Matt Kelly, well, what do you do? I yell a lot into a microphone. Anything else? Not really. Not really. Just made mostly yelling. It's yelling for a purpose. <laughs> when people dismiss Jameson Crowder or Doug Baldwin as not having enough upside, the gurgling rage explodes in front of this microphone. That's what happens. Just wait until Willie Sneed starts outscoring Michael Thomas. Just wait. You just wait. You think, you think you've seen me at maximum obnoxious? Oh, you've seen nothing. Nothing. That's where the, the unreasonable projection comes from. So when you're running the numbers and you're doing the math on this, you can't actually give all the Brandon Cooks targets to Michael Thomas. You're not actually allowed to do that. Michael Thomas benefited from a number of random events and outcomes on the football field last year. You're assuming that's all going to happen again this year for a second-year player who's thrust into a new role as the primary option that defenses are scheming against, and he's going to absorb all this volume, and he's going to remain equally as efficient. So that's not how it works. (laughs) That's the recipe for overdrafting a player in fantasy football projecting Michael Thomas to the absolute furthest end of the spectrum on his range of outcomes as you could possibly get. No one questions that. But if you project Brandon Cooks to steal a significant portion of Julian Edelman's targets, well, you're doing it wrong. You don't know what the hell you're doing. This is why studying the fantasy gamer is such a fascinating project. Fascinating creature, this fantasy gamer. Because... I'm perpetually surprised. I think I've got him figured out. And I think I know how transaction X is going to affect ADPY. And every time, just throwing my papers in the air. I think what would be a compelling guest for this show would be somebody who somebody who doesn't really understand the NFL, like has a cursory understanding of it, or maybe it's somebody who has a cursory understanding of fantasy football. And then you get them on and you try to explain why fantasy drafters act the way they do, why this guy is going here and this guy is going there, and it would make no sense. And I don't even tell them that what I'm talking about are human beings. I don't even give them the context that these are humans. They might think that I'm talking about a herd of gazelle that are just unpredictable. They're just, you never know which way they're going to dart. And not only this, but the guys that draft multiple teams will directly contradict their own beliefs, values, and rankings, and projections. Multiple occasions. They'll rationalize it away by using some fraudulent poker term like bankroll management or something, which they don't even understand what they're talking about. They'll say, well, you know, I I had too many shares of this guy, too many shares. Risk management, yes. Risk management. That's, that's, That's what a lot of them will say. But if you break it down, and I'm guilty of this too, because I will switch... Um, from draft to draft, like, well, yeah, I, I like this guy better at this point, but three weeks later, now I'm all about this guy. You know what I mean? I'm guilty of it too. It's just being a, a flawed human, which I've done to some critical acclaim in my life uh, for more, for nearly four decades of being a flawed human being, and I'm applying that to fantasy football. One of my favorite lines from Michael Lewis's The Undoing Project was, as it turns out, Even experts are human.
Even experts are human and get beat by the machine. I wait on a quarterback to the point of being a dick about it. Yeah, they're drafting him like he's still on crack. He's not. Math Tavis Bryant. 